like to turn with you in Luke's Gospel, to chapter 18 of Luke, that we might consider together some lessons that are important to our prayer. So we're going to read verses 35 through 43 in Luke chapter 18. Now this is, just to set this in context, this is uh, really toward the end of Jesus' ministry. He has been ministering for almost three years at this point. He is now on his way up from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. They're going up for the Passover. For the week before, he will teach and do miracles in Jerusalem. And at the end of that week, he will be crucified. So we're, we're really, we need to understand that because what Luke is portraying for us here is not simply seeking to show us who he is. He's already shown us that. Now he's showing the response of the people to him. And so beginning in verse 35 of Luke 18, we read, Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, saying, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Brothers and sisters, beloved of our Lord, it's not often that we pause and aim to see through the eyes of a blind man. But you know, it's not really just through the physical eyes that we perceive the truth. And sometimes the eyes of one's heart see the truth far more clearly than our physical eyes are able. And so it is with this blind man that Jesus encounters at Jericho on his journey to Jerusalem. As I said, this is his final trip to Jerusalem. And as was customary among the Jews, they didn't go the straight route which would have taken them from Galilee straight through Samaria and down to Jerusalem. But instead they crossed over just south of the Sea of Galilee, walked down on the east side of the Jordan River, and then just across from Jericho they crossed back over, uh, went through Jericho, and then went up to Jerusalem from there. Now it's interesting that this passage is found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew and Mark, they record the miracle as happening on the way out of Jericho, whereas Luke records it as happening as he drew near to Jericho, which is a little confusing, it seems. But what we need to understand is that there are two places called Jericho. When you ask a Jew in that age, where Jericho is, he points to the ruins of that city that was destroyed by the Israelites under Joshua, or more truly by God during the age of Joshua. But just past those ruins, there was a new city also called Jericho, which was built by the Maccabeans and was built up by Herod. And if you asked a Roman where Jericho was, they would point to that glorious new Jericho. Of course, Luke was writing to Gentiles. And so he referred not to the old Jericho, the Jericho that the Jews would know, 
which would be mentioned by Mark and Matthew, but, but to the new Roman Jericho. And so it was as they drew near to new Jericho, between the two cities, they encounter a blind man. And this blind man utters a prayer and demonstrates a faith that is essential for us to understand as we draw near to God in prayer. And so that's really our theme this evening, is that a blind beggar models the faith that saves us. A blind beggar models the faith that saves. And the first thing we see is the persistent plea that he brings before Jesus. But notice the details that that Luke mentions up front and their import. First of all, he says that this is a blind man. Now that was not uncommon in that age. The combination of the, the bright, unrelenting glare of the Middle Eastern sun and the blowing sand and poor hygiene mixed with relatively rudimentary medical skills in that age meant that blindness was not terribly uncommon. But it was also an ailment that was mentioned often in the prophets, especially in Isaiah, as a symbol for spiritual blindness. Because blindness in that age was a terrible affliction in that it rendered a man weak. You men know it's hard for us to be weak. When we struggle with sickness, when we tackle a task that we can't do on our own, I don't know about you, but it's mighty hard for me to ask for help. It's mighty hard for me to just say, I can't do it. And I think that's true for many men. But in that age, there was no cure for blindness, and there was very little that a man could do to earn a living for his family or even just for himself if he was blind. All he could do was what this man did, and that was sit by the roadside and beg depending on the mercy of strangers to give a pittance by which he hoped he could contribute somewhat to offset the burden that he was to his family. And that's why in Isaiah we find blindness often referred to to symbolize our spiritual state from the start. We're weak. We're powerless. We cannot provide anything that we need on our own. In fact, we're a burden that can't even lift itself up off the ash heap. Now that's important because this man would be an example of how Christ came to restore that which was broken, but he also is a symbol of how Christ came to open our eyes with wisdom, not our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we might be drawn back to God. And we need to see both aspects of who this man is. Now as I said, he's begging Because that's probably all he can do. He sits beside the road, which itself is symbolic, because he's part of society. But let's face it, he was, much like our homeless people today, sidelined. A part of society that most people didn't bother to see. Relegated to the background by his fellow Jews. Day after day, week after week, he sat, begging by the roadside, blending into the background, noticed only for an instant and only by those who who bothered to toss a coin at him. But he was not without wisdom, this blind beggar, for he sat himself on a throughway by which pretty much every Jew who was passing from the northern territories into Jerusalem would pass. He set himself up between the two Jerichos, which meant that there was no way around him and that there would be a brand new crop of passers-by every single day. And so he sat 
and he begged, and he listened to news from throughout the land. He listened to exactly what was happening. Well, on this day, he listened and he heard a crowd coming by. Now, he was probably accustomed to small crowds going on pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, especially as it drew near to, to Passover season. The crowds would grow larger, but this evidently was a substantially larger crowd that caught him off guard. And so he asked, what's going on? And he was told, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by on his way to Jerusalem. Well, now, he's heard of Jesus. Beggars, the homeless, the marginalized of any given society, they know things because they're not noticed. And so people don't guard their tongues around them, and they hear all the news of all that's going on around them. So Bartimaeus, he has heard, Mark tells us his name was Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus. The radical things he's been teaching, the amazing power he has displayed, the hatred shown toward him by the leaders of the land. He's heard plenty about Jesus, and what he has heard evidently has convinced him, although strictly speaking it was the Holy Spirit that convinced him, our blind friend has come to believe that Jesus could help him, not just by providing alms, not just buying him bread for the day, but that he could actually deliver him out of the darkness into which he had been plunged. This was big news. So Bartimaeus, hearing that it was Jesus passing by, begins to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now this is a cry for help, but it's a carefully crafted cry. He calls out, Lord... Now immediately, with the word Lord, we see that he's humbling himself. He's acknowledging that the one to whom he's speaking is greater, but it's more than that because he's a Jew. And he's a Jew who's in a Greek-speaking area, which means he knows the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. And in that translation of the Old Testament, every time the covenant name for God, Yahweh, every time that appeared, it was rendered not as Yahweh and not as Jehovah, it was rendered as Kurios, Lord. And so when he called out to Jesus, Lord, he was acknowledging that he is God. That's amazing. And he solidifies that confession when he calls him Son of David, which was a title. It was the title of the Messiah. It was the title that looked back to all of those promises beginning in 2 Samuel 7 and moving through all the prophets that God would raise up one of the offspring of David and that that offspring of David would bring back God's people from the exile. Not just the physical exile, but the spiritual exile by which they were cut off from God's blessing. This son of David would establish the kingdom of God, not just physically, but spiritually, not just in Canaan, but throughout the world, and his kingdom would last forever. When he called him the son of David, he was speaking a mouthful. He's saying, you're the one for whom we've been waiting all these centuries. And so to him, the Lord, the son of David, he cries out for mercy, acknowledging, I can't command you. I can't earn what I need from you. I am absolutely powerless before you, but I know you can give me what I need. It's a humble cry, but a, a cry that's filled with faith. However, the crowd didn't see it that way, did they? The crowd, as they heard Bartimaeus crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. They said, be quiet. Silence. 
Perhaps he was embarrassing them. Perhaps he was drowning out the voice of Jesus himself and they wanted to hear what he had to say. But, but the more they rebuked, the louder he got. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's desperate for help because he knows that only Jesus is able to give him the help that he needs. And so he refuses to be silent. What faith this demonstrates. And brothers and sisters, that's the first lesson we need to see in this text. You and I, we are that blind beggar. Because at the very start, we were blind. We didn't know what our misery was. We didn't know the nature of the deliverance we needed. We didn't know where to look. All we knew was that we were lost, we were broken, and we were blind. But by the Holy Spirit, God showed us Jesus. And He has proclaimed to each and every one of us that Jesus is the one and the only one who can deliver us from our blindness, who can usher us into the light of God's presence. And if we're to have the help that He alone can provide, we must cry out to Jesus, to Jesus, and to Jesus alone. We must be bold. We have to confess that He is the one. He's the one for whom we've been waiting. He's the one who can help. And there is no other alternative. And when the crowd seeks to silence us, when our family says, you're embarrassing me, when our co-workers say, you're just a holy roller, we need to keep crying out to Jesus, living for Jesus, seeking after Jesus, confessing that He alone is able to help us. And even as he did for this blind man, Jesus will do for us. He will hear and he will respond. Look at verse 40. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. He hears this persistent plea of a desperate blind man. And in what follows, we see that blind man's pointed confidence as Jesus speaks to him. So that's our second point, his pointed confidence. Jesus asks him, what would you want me what do you want me to do for you what do you want me to do for you he gives him an opening it's not because kids you understand this when jesus says that it's not because he doesn't know what this man wants from him what he needs he knows he knows every thought of our heart from the very word go but he asks so that this man will have an opportunity to confess both his need, his weakness, and Jesus' ability, his stunning ability. That's why he calls us to pray. Everything we're going to pray about tonight, God already knows about it. God knows it better than we do, and he knows exactly what we need in response to those needs. But he gives us the opportunity to pray that we might confess our confidence in him and our desperate need for him. And so he gives... Bartimaeus, the opportunity. And notice how pointed his answer is. There's no beating around the bush. There's no ornate and flowery language. With bold directness, he says, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Again, Lord. He uses that, that word which confesses. He knows who Jesus is. And he's not just a man. But his answer only has three words. Kurios, Lord. Hina anablepso. Lord, that I might again see. One word, it means I might again see. That's all he wants. I want to be able to see. I want to be useful. I want to be lifted up from the depth of my misery. There's a lesson right there for us. 
Our prayers need not be long and ornate in order to be powerful. Jesus asked what the man desired, and in three words he answered. doesn't get much more clear and pointed than that. And Jesus delights in what he hears. He delights in the simple, straightforward faith of the man before him. And so his answer is just as pointed. He said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now when he says receive your sight, that's one word in the Greek. And it's the exact same word that Bartimaeus had used. He says, Bartimaeus pleads, anablepso, let me receive my sight. Jesus answers, anablepson. It's a command, receive your sight. Just what you've asked for, that's what I command of you. And then he says, your faith has made you well. That's actually unusual for the New King James. It actually dulls what Jesus says. He actually literally says, your faith has saved you. And I think that's important. There was a word in the Greek for healing. He doesn't use that. He uses the more comprehensive term, to be saved. Because he wants this blind man to recognize, I haven't just healed your eyes. I've healed your heart. I've healed your relationship. I've healed your future. I've healed your soul. When he hears our prayer, Jesus does far more than we could ever hope or expect. He doesn't just provide healing for the body, he provides healing for the soul. He doesn't just limit his answer to our prayer to what we've asked, he expands it to what we actually need. That's an important lesson for us, brothers and sisters. The Lord does not look for fancy and ornate terminology in our prayers. He wants us simply to tell him what's on our heart, what's on our minds, what we crave, and what we believe about him as we pray to him. But when we do that, when we pour forth that pointed prayer, he answers with such abundant mercy. Mercy greater than we could ever have hoped for, greater than we could ever have expected. But that is precisely what we need. Now really, we could stop right there and, and the lessons for our prayer would be immense. Matter of fact, we could ponder those and we should ponder those lessons for quite some time. But there's one last lesson to this text that really wraps it all up and, and I think sets before us something that is absolutely essential for us to consider as we pray. In verse 43 we learn the value to God of a passionate response. And that's our last point. Notice as soon as Jesus speaks, immediately, three things happen. There's no delay. Jesus decrees an answer right now. Now, of course, he doesn't always do that. Sometimes he decrees to make us wait, to cause us to learn patience, perseverance in our prayer. But other times, the words are barely out of our mouth and He answers, and that's what he does in this case. His power, his authority are absolute. He can answer when and how he will. And and in this case, immediately he receives his sight. There's that same verb again, anablepo. Bartimaeus asks, that I might see again. Jesus says, see again. And immediately he sees again. Which is something that no one else in the world at that time could have done for Bartimaeus. There was no cure for blindness. There was, humanly speaking, no hope for the blind to regain usefulness in society. But Jesus does in an instant, with one command, 
what no one else in the world could do. And Bartimaeus recognizes it. Look at his response. Immediately he received his sight and followed him glorifying God. How often we neglect that part of our prayer, the response. How often we pray fervently when we're in the middle of a crisis. Right, kids? You guys know this. You know, you just broke something that dad said not to touch. And your prayers suddenly get really fervent. Or you're, you're on your way home, teenagers, and you're not really sure you're going to make it in time for curfew, so you pray that mom will be a little distracted. Right? We, we pray pretty fervently when the need is real. But as soon as the need is met, as soon as the prayer is answered, it's out of our mind. We go about our business. We don't think about it any longer. But not so for grateful Bartimaeus. Immediately he answers the blessing he has received with worship. He wants everyone to know exactly what God has done, exactly how powerfully he has answered. And folks, that must be our response. We must honor the triune God who has helped us. We must confess the mercy of Christ who has heard us. We must testify that others might join us in honoring our merciful King. And when we do that, some of them will. When they saw it, the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. It should be our deepest desire when we pray that not only will God answer our prayer, not only will He meet our need, but that others might see and honor God, that others might see and learn to trust in God, that others might behold what He has done and learn to put their hope in Him as well. Brothers and sisters, it is a rich blessing to experience an answer to prayer. But it's an even deeper blessing. And in fact, it's the greatest blessing to have that opportunity to honor God and to lead others in doing likewise. When we do that, we have fulfilled the greatest purpose we have. May God make it our delight to follow the example of this blind beggar whom he healed at Jericho. And as we learn day by day to plead persistently to him, to express our confidence pointedly in him, may he fill us persistently with a passionate response for all that he has done. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you that you give us the opportunity to seek our help from you and to respond by giving you praise and by calling others to worship you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.